This is Thank with DJ Tequesta, your favorite 70s funk history podcast. I'm DJ Tequesta, a music head, historian, Haitian, Lututkote, and big ass nerd. This podcast will explore the different 70s funk scenes in the cities across the United States of America. If you love music and history, you've come to the right place. For each funk scene, we go and talk about the indigenous history, who the black women were, the best songs to smoke to, and more. Each episode is accompanied by a playlist curated by me, DJ Tequesta, on YouTube and Spotify. You can find the playlist in the show notes. So sit back and relax, because it's time to get stank, y'all. New Orleans, what up? Before Cash Money was taken over for the 9-9 and 2000, the city of New Orleans had already established itself as a bedrock for black music. However, before we get to that, we gotta go way back. For over 6,000 years, the place we call New Orleans and the surrounding areas was inhabited by the Chirimacha people. According to different records, the indigenous name for the area was Balbancha, which translates to the land of many tongues, noting the multiple indigenous cultures that were in community with each other, including the Choctaw, Biloxi, Huma, Natchez, and Tunica. The Chirimacha were organized into a confederacy of approximately 15 semi-autonomous villages whose central authority was vested with a grand chief who lived at the main village, near now named Cheriton, Louisiana. Villages were fairly large, averaging more than 500 people, and were located among natural levees of streams and lake shores. The Chirimacha were also heavily organized along a rigid class system and clan membership along lines of matrilineal descendants. The Chirimacha had a diet of mostly maize, potatoes, and wild game including deer, alligator, and aquatic species. Hunting and fishing were accomplished with the aid of bone, stone, or garfish scale pointed arrows, with the use of blowguns and wooden darts, as well as nets and traps for fishing. Life took a turn for the Chirimacha as European colonizers found their way to Balbancha in the 1690s. Tensions reached a fever pitch in 1706 as the Chirimacha were suffering from slave raids and violence from the mostly French aggressors. From 1706 on, the French traders allied with other indigenous peoples to start a war with the Chirimacha. Over 12 brutal years of French warfare resulted in the annihilation of much of the Chirimacha population, and the folks who did survive were forced into slavery. The war ended in 1718 when a Chirimacha chief signed a peace treaty with the French. 1718 is also the year that the French settlement of New Orleans was created, named after the Duke of New Orleans, the regent to the King of France. This will be the beginning of the heavy French influence in the region. Despite the attempts of annihilation from the French, Spanish, and the United States of America, the Chirimacha are still here. They are the only indigenous group in Louisiana to remain on any portion of their ancestral homelands, located near Cheriton, Louisiana, and St. Mary Parish. The tribal government has its own health clinic, pharmacy, museum, cultural preservation office, elderly assistant living facility, housing program, and is the second largest employer in the parish. One of the unfortunate realities of life in the empire is the adoption of anti-black ideology by indigenous tribes on Turtle Island. Between 1903 and 1926, the tribe purged all members with African descent off the reservation and very importantly, off their records. This was during the emergence of Jim Crow laws in the empire and the tribe made the decision to cow toward Tao's white supremacy. Over 100 years later, the descendants of these expelled members are still trying to get official recognitions as members of the Chirimacha. Indigenous peoples on Turtle Island know firsthand the impact of removing peoples from their culture 
and denying them their birthright, which makes us all the more sad. Many black Chirimacha have organized to claim their culture and have died waiting for the Chirimacha to do right by them. It is this historian's hope that the Chirimacha will find the courage and clarity to right the wrongs committed against the black Chirimacha. African presence in New Orleans is just as old as New Orleans itself, with records showing black folks' activities right around the time of its founding, and nowhere else is its presence felt more than in Congo Square. Now Congo Square had many names under many languages, so to understand Congo Square, let's talk about European colonial history of Louisiana. Alright, y'all ready? So, the French claimed Louisiana in 1718. Less than 50 years later, the French would give the Louisiana Territory to the Spanish in 1763. Less than 50 years after that, the Spanish would give the Louisiana Territory back to the French in 1801. Now here is where things get interesting. In 1803, the French, just less than three years of getting back their colony, sold it to the young United States of America, doubling the size of its geographic area. Popular theory will tell you that child sexual predator Thomas Jefferson was a great negotiator who got the Louisiana Purchase due to his skill. Nah, bruh. It is important to remember that during this time, Napoleon and his French army was getting that ass whooped by the African descendant population in Saint-Domingue, aka future Haiti. By 1803, it was clear that the French would not be able to put down the only successful slave revolt in recorded history, and thus, had no incentive to keep the Louisiana Territory. The Haitian Revolution had an unbounded impact on a global scale, and the Louisiana Purchase is just one of its impacts. Alright, back to Congo Square. Like I said, Congo Square went by many names. Place Publique, Place de Negras, Plaza Los Negros, Place Congo, Circus Park, Circus Square, Circus Place, Congo Park, Congo Plains, and Place de Arms. Congo Square was just one of the many places black folks sought to create community and economic opportunity. From the beginning of New Orleans, Africans, free and enslaved, gathered at every opportunity in many locations. In 1724, there was a law that created Sunday as a non-workday for everyone in the colony, including the black population. So on Sunday afternoons, Gramun and Timun congregated by the hundreds, sometimes thousands, and formed circles. In each circle were dancers and musicians, and those who encircled them clapped, sang, shook, rattled, responded to the calls of song leaders, and replaced tired dancers. An important part of these gatherings was the economic exchange, which had enslaved buyers and sellers at its center. The opportunity for enslaved people to earn money on Sundays, their day of rest, enabled them to patronize the market of women and other vendors who sold goods they had made, gathered, cultivated, and hunted. And very importantly, this gave them opportunities to buy their freedom through legal structures. There was also trade between the Africans and American Indians in Congo Square, which began an important partnership that is still celebrated today with feathers, beads, songs, and chants of the Mardi Gras Indians. In 1817, the mayor of New Orleans designated Congo Square as the only acceptable place where slaves were allowed to gather. 
Congo Square became known for musical celebrations held on Sundays and attracted visitors from all over the empire. The open space was popularly called Congo Square due to the fact that many of the enslaved Africans were from the Congo. There are many who say Congo Square is the birth center of jazz and blues, combining multiple African musicalities with indigenous and European influences. Whether or not that's technically factual is irrelevant. What we know is that there was nowhere else in the world where this kind of music was being produced. Today, Congo Square is situated in the southwest corner of Louis Armstrong Park, located in the Treme neighborhood of New Orleans. And Treme has a hell of a history. Treme is one of the oldest integrated neighborhoods in the empire, where free people of color thrived, with more than 80% owning land in Treme during slavery. It's home to one of the earliest known civil rights movements in the South, dating back to the 19th century. Treme resident Homer Plessy was a shoemaker and political activist. When black residents formed the Citizens Committee, they selected Plessy to directly challenge segregated railroad car laws in Louisiana. The infamous Plessy versus Ferguson case of 1896 would lead to the separate but equal doctrine we know as Jim Crow laws. Treme suffered the fates of many black centers of economic and social life. There was mass displacement of black people and destruction of black community life as the Highway I-10 was built in the 1960s. An example, North Claiborne Avenue was the home to a bustling black business district. It was estimated there were more than 120 businesses along the corridor, and all of them were gone by the time the highway was built. One of the oldest black communities, Treme is now facing what we call gentrification. In 2000, Treme was 92% black and 5% white. The latest numbers show Treme being 62% black and 28% white. There are many grassroots organizations working to hold on to the culture and future of Treme. It is no surprise that over 200 years of activity will cultivate in 1970. In 1970, Congress Square of Treme became the site of the first New Orleans Jazz and Heritage Festival, known as Jazz Fest, creating a celebration that is still popular over 50 years later. As Jazz Fest was getting started in 1970, we find ourselves in the Upper Ninth Ward in the Desire Housing Projects. Let me first and foremost say, fuck J. Edgar Hoover and the FBI. The FBI had a program called Counter Intel Pro, which was an initiative to infiltrate and destabilize many black grassroots organizations, black bookstores, and any potential sites of black liberation. The Desire Housing Projects was located in the Desire neighborhood of Upper Ninth Ward. Authorized in 1949 and completed by 1956, the segregated project contained 262 two-story buildings featuring 1,800 apartments. By 1970, the Desire Project housed more than 13,000 residents with 8,000 under the age of 18 on a plot of land slightly less than 100 acres, making it the area with the greatest population density in New Orleans. In 1970, the New Orleans branch of the National Committee to Combat Fascism, the NCCF, an organization birthed from the Black Panther Party for Self-Defense, moved to the Zaire Project and began organizing within the community. They set up political education programs, a free breakfast program, 
community policing, and many other community efforts. Their work in concert with the community improved community health, increased the safety for residents, and created pride among black folks. The New Orleans Committee to Combat Fascism were headquartered in a home on Peter Street in Desire. The community loved them, but for all the community good they were doing, they created enemies, particularly the United States of America, and specifically the nefarious New Orleans Police Department. The New Orleans Committee to Combat Fascism was started in January of 1970 and almost immediately infiltrated. Mama and Ray's no food The infiltrators were found out and brought to a people's court on Monday night, September 14, 1970, during a New Orleans Committee to Combat Fascism political education workshop. They were found guilty of being traitorous pigs and rejected from the committee. After being released by the NCCF, they were beaten up and chased out of the projects by upset residents. Y'all gotta understand, the residents of Desire had no support whatsoever from the local and state government. So imagine how they felt when the only group of folks who gave a damn about their conditions were betrayed. It was a betrayal to the party and a betrayal of the community, and they wanted their justice. The NCCF had been fearing a raid for several months, and after they had found the infiltrators, the New Orleans Committee to Combat Fascism knew a raid was imminent. After the justice that occurred Monday night, the powers that be in New Orleans were ready to evict the NCCF from Desire. On Tuesday morning, the pigs pulled up with machine guns, over 100 officers, a helicopter, and a damn tank. Yes, y'all, they pulled up to the hood with a damn tank in 1970. This was met with righteous resistance with the community during the best of Stonewall the advancing pigs. When the pigs pulled up to the party headquarters, they got to bussin'. They engaged in a 30-minute shootout with the wood frame of the party headquarters riddled with bullets. By the grace of the creator, no one in the home was killed with just four sustaining injuries. Unfortunately, one community member was killed by stray bullets. After the pigs had their breakthrough and got to the home, they stole the party's typewriter, cameras, files, radio, and other equipment used in organizing. Twelve members were arrested and charged with attempted murder. Almost all these revolutionaries were between the ages of 19 and 23. They were Milton O. Martin, 27, Isaac Edwards, 23, Leroy Jones, 23, Malik Rahim, 22, Elaine Young X, 22, Farouk Hassan, 21, Alton Edwards, 21, Charles Scott, 20, Kathy Burns, 20, Tyrone Edwards, 19, Leah Bernadette Hodges, 19, and William Cloud at age 18. After this act of fascism, the NCCF will move to new headquarters at 3315 Desire Parkway, Apartment A. Two months after the initial raid on the original headquarters, the pigs will come back to evict the remaining members of the New Orleans Committee to Combat Fascism in another violent shootout on November 25, 1970, effectively destroying the community building efforts of the organization. The community was very protective of the party and had been consistently protecting party members from violent extraction efforts earlier that week. To get around the force of the community, the pigs dressed up in uniforms as priests and mail carriers to get into the projects. The disguised pigs then raided party headquarters with guns and captured Gathea Cooper, Leon Lewis, Marshall Kellen, Odell Brown, Larry Jackson, and Betty Powell Toussaint. On August 6, 1971, a jury would find the 12 arrested members from the September shootout not guilty on all charges. One of my biggest frustrations with the historical and contemporary discourse of the empire 
is the decision by many to understate the magnitude of the violence of the state towards any and every effort to create black liberation. Specifically to the Black Panther Party for Self-Defense, by the time the party dissolved in 1982, there would be dozens of party members murdered by the state, several hundred wounded and captured as political prisoners, with many still held captive by the state today. When the New Orleans Committee to Combat Fascism attempted to improve the material conditions of the community, they were met with fascism. The full political and armed forces of the state was targeted on these young black people. This is why I want to take the opportunity to honor and thank these revolutionaries for their love of community. Whether they are elders or ancestors, we venerate your spirit and express our gratitude for your love of community, political action, and courage in the face of empire. Thank you, Malik Rahim. Thank you, Betty Powell Toussaint. Thank you, Milton O. Martin. Thank you, Isaac Edwards. Thank you, Leroy Jones. Thank you, Elaine Young X. Thank you, Farouk Hassan. Thank you, Alton Edwards. Thank you, Charles Scott. Thank you, Kathy Burns. Thank you, Tyrone Edwards. Thank you, Leah Bernadette Hodges. Thank you, William Cloud. Thank you, Gathea Cooper. Thank you, Leon Lewis. Thank you, Marshall Kellen. Thank you, Odell Brown. Thank you, Larry Jackson. And most importantly, thank you to the community of freedom fighters and the Desire Projects, whose names were not recorded, but whose actions and spirits will echo throughout time. The Desire Housing Project was demolished in stages between 1996 and 2001, and yet the spirit of resistance, black liberation, and love of community are still alive. Off the pigs and all power to the people. Let me be the one that you need, girl. Baby, please. Concentrate on loving me. Concentrate on loving me. Stop the fire to burn burning. Got to place your trust in me. Ooh, ooh, ooh. I satisfy your fantasy. Now that we set the scene, let's get into the music. We're going to highlight different songs from the playlist for my smokers, my steppers, and my conspiracy brothers that captured the different sounds and themes of 1970s New Orleans. For my smokers, we have Stormy by The Meters. I'm a huge fan of Big Crit, and this was a track he sampled on the song Bigger Picture from his album King Remembered in Time. This is a perfect song for a rainy afternoon when you just want to light up and find the ease of life. Next for my smokers is Concentrate by The Gators. The guitar licks and piano line here are as smooth as they come as Willie T glides on the track, bringing his musical talents from the Calio Projects in the Third Ward. Let this track ride as the smoke fills the air, and Willie T takes you there, as he tells his lover, concentrate on loving me. For my steppers, we have Do Me by Gene Knight. Gene Knight worked as a baker in the cafeteria of Loyola University in New Orleans before getting big on the music scene. She was inducted into the Louisiana Music Hall of Fame in 2007 and will have you bouncing on this track. Next for my steppers is Hip Drop by The Explosions. Lead singer Juanita Brooks grew up in the Ninth Ward of Mid-City and went to Francis T. Nichols High School. This song will have your feet moving and grooving with amazing saxophone play and music break. For my conspiracy brothers, we have Direct From The Ghetto by Warren Lee and Mr. Big Man by Leroy Clawford and Company. 
Both songs speak to the life that existed for impoverished black folks in New Orleans. Vulnerable and irreverent, the music here reflects the conditions created by the powers that be that inspired the revolutionary actions in the Desire Projects. For my can't get rock folks, we have Mr. Big Stuff by Jean Knight. This was Jean Knight's biggest hit, as she vocalized what too many women have dealt with in the romantic arena. Mr. Big Stuff, tell me, who do you think you are? Challenging the audacious behavior of men worldwide. Next for my can't get right folks is, What Do You Want the Girl to Do by Alan Toussaint. What do you want the girl to do? Don't you see you're breaking the child in two? Alan gives a heartfelt performance with beautiful lyrics, asking his boys to reflect on their behavior and their relationships and consider the feelings of their booze and their actions. In the Y'all Grand Folks Was Freaky 2 category, we have I Got What You Need by Mary Jane Hooper. Mary Jane is talking that talk on this song with lines like, I got what you need, boy. Can you take it? If your heart is weak, don't come my way. Mary Jane is too, too sexy on this track with lyrics that ooze in your ear. Mary Jane Hooper is also the aunt of legendary rapper and bounce music artist Magnolia Shawty. We also have I'm Your Sex Machine by Wardell Kirsikiu, who came from 7th Ward, and Turn Me On by the Phantoms out of Holly Grove neighborhood in the 17th Ward. When I heard this song, I immediately connected to Back That Ass Up by Juvenile, especially with lyrics like, Big fine woman, won't you turn me on with your stuff? Next for a positive day, we have We're All In This Together by Chocolate Milk. We're all in this together, males will make it work, sings the band. A song asking for understanding, compassion, and grace. Show these things to yourself so you can show them to others. Spread happiness to your people and see your return generously. Lastly, we have Yes We Can by Lee Dorsey. Before a certain president captured the national stage with this political slogan and proceeded to do nothing for black folks, Lee Dorsey was singing Yes We Can to reduce individualism and embrace community. To remind them that no matter how hard life gets, it's never no I can't, but yes we can. And that's Thank with DJ Tequesta. Remember to check out the playlist in the show notes and follow us on Instagram and Facebook at DJ Tequesta to check out newest content and find links to our playlist. And that's DJ T-E-Q-U-E-S-T-A. You can also search DJ Tequesta on Spotify and YouTube for the music playlist. The playlist features tracks that showcase the sound diversity of each funk scene. For my funk heads, you'll want to check out the playlist on YouTube, which features deep cuts you won't find on other platforms. Enjoy the music till next time. And remember, breathe and listen to funk. Yes, we can. I know we can. We can. Yes, we can. Okay. We. Have-